Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap on June 12th of 2019. I am Nick here with Chris, and we've got a lot of manga to talk about today. They keep on coming out, Chris. Well, they stopped coming out this week, actually. There's no new debuts this week to talk about. But there is a chapter of Boruto, and it's a very long chapter. You've got a lot of manga to talk about. <laughs> it's a good time, though, right? I guess. Um, I don't know. I I might just be forgetting stuff that happened this week, but I don't remember a lot of great stuff happening this week in terms of manga content. So while the world is excited about all this other geek stuff, it's like, eh, manga's okay, I guess. Manga was just fine this week, I suppose. Better than than wrestling, but whatever. Hey, Nick, I finally watched AEW's All or Nothing, and it was pretty solid. Although, uh, my favorite part is when they start the show, because there are like six tag matches on the card, essentially. Right, right, right. They were like, so in AEW, we have a new rule. Uh, you have a 10 count from when you tag your partner in that they can both be participants in the match and involve yourself. You're like, okay, cool. You're like expanding upon this rule that's kind of always exploited, you know, the five. Hang on a second. One of the tag matches on the show was a Young Bucks match, so I know that didn't hold up. (laughs) Nick, not a single fucking match does it hold up. Not even from the first time someone tags in does it hold up. You're like, why don't you just make them all tornado tags? I don't understand. What's the point of this? It's like... 38 minutes of like like 38 straight seconds of two guys just kicking the dude on the ground and the refs just standing like hey get back come on back to your corner like i don't it wouldn't have bothered me if you hadn't had commentary making a big point at the top of the show like we're different guys we respect the rules of this sport closed fists are allowed in 10 second counts that's that's how long you have to get out there they also had uh the vague count out rule where they're like Countouts are allowed here, though it's up to the referee's discussion of how fast they count. I'm like, that's some fucking nonsense. <laughs> One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Get out. Well, I think it's I think it's during I'm the, done. the Cody Rhodes Dustin uh, Dusty or Dustin Rhodes match. There's like like a four minute sequence outside of the ring, <laughs> and you're just like, is, are, is this a no DQ match? And then eventually, like you see the guy, and he's like. and then they get in the ring you're like okay this is how this is all right otherwise very interesting there's a a guy who's a dinosaur man he's my favorite he's my favorite in that company luchasaurus i love luchasaurus he uh yeah he's been around in a couple of different places used to be in nxt under like a really really boring name because so many wrestling names are super boring in WWE. Anyway, let's talk about manga, Chris. Let's do it. I don't mean, I don't mean to rain the parade, but I do have shit to do that I've got to prepare for that's happening tomorrow. So I've, I've, I'm, I'm just going to get into it. So. Let's go. Let's, let's blast through it. All right, Chris. We've got a whole bunch of judges to talk about. Let's begin with My Hero Academia for the recap portion of Weekly Manga Recap. Chapter number 231, Path. Uh, this chapter opens with Gigantomachia um, having woken up uh, running. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's woken up and he's on his way. That's, that's the establishing shot. Okay. 
Probably the most important thing that happens this week actually has little to do with anything that's been going on in recent My Hero Academia because uh, we're reminded that, oh, right, Hawks is a double agent. Uh, he was in contact with the League of Villains. And uh, he is just, you know, in Osaka, perched on a roof somewhere, uh, thinking to himself about a bunch of stuff. And uh, he notes to himself that he can't seem to get any contact uh, with uh, the League. There's no word on what the League's been up to. So seemingly in this entire time that uh, the League has been uh, dealing with Gigantomachia, uh, they basically ever since that uh, one Nomu um, incident, that's probably the only thing that Hawks has had to do with them. Uh, and since then, they've been dealing with Gigantomachia. And of course, Dobby just got tugged over. And so, yeah. Um, but we have, uh, flashback to the last time that he spoke with Dobby on the phone. And, um, basically I was just like, yeah, we still don't trust you. Um, that was kind of suspicious how the whole thing with Endeavor went down, of course. Um, but Hawks is confident that the way things are playing that like, they don't really have a choice, but to keep on going along with him, they're going to. You know, Pox is just thinking to himself, he's like, you're not going to cut me out yet because you know what kind of value I, I offered to you if this works out for you. So I'm just going to keep on acting like myself. And that way you're going to think less about how risky this is. And that you're going to think more about what you have to gain from it. And that's why you're going to let me in. And sure enough, as Dobby thinks to himself and talks on the phone, he's like, all right, you're going to get one more chance to prove your loyalty here. Hot dog. Yay. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that Hawks sounds like that. <laughs> oh, that's part, of his, that's part of his that's part of his teen idol charm is his loser voice. <laughs> I'm the number two hero. <laughs> I was like, wow, the way that he, you know, is kind of full of himself and arrogant is a lot more grating when you realize what he sounds like. <laughs> uh, and he goes to visit Best Genist uh, at, at home. Uh, apparently. Uh, and best use, you know, is talking about like, oh, yeah, things are OK. Um, you know, I'm about to step back into the public eye. Uh, they're eager for me to return. And uh, Hawks is like, huh, isn't that so? is that so? Well, that's too bad. And we just see him spread his wings and that's it that we cut away from there. So it seems as though in order to prove himself, uh, Hawks has possibly kidnapped best genist uh possibly um told him hey so here's what i'm doing but i don't know that doesn't seem too likely to me he probably wouldn't trust anyone but himself to uh, carry on with this secret and also he rather ominously is uh doing something with the bag he's got slung over his shoulder in the present so hmm mm. No, no, maybe he's been maybe Best Genius got stuffed into it, Chris. Who knows? Maybe he's maybe he's dead. Or maybe it's his laundry. He's carrying it from place to place, and yeah. it's very heavy. His laundry is off, often heavy. Yeah, you know he has he's has those big heavy looking jackets he wears. So mm. I'm sure that we're meant to think that you know Hawks has done something really bad to prove himself, uh, and that he probably has not actually done the horrible thing. In these typical, uh, you know, yeah, this is this first, is a way good, to, good guy, good guy pretending to be a bad guy. Yeah, this, this is a way to mislead the audience a little bit. 
But I do like that we don't actually see what he has supposedly done yet. We just know that, ooh, he probably had to do something kind of bad or at least give the appearance that he did. Hmm. Uh, so now about a third of the way through the chapter is when we cut back to the main fight that's been going on. Dobby is still fighting Eskimo dude. Um, Shigaraki and Spinner are running through all this destruction and stuff. Uh, Twice's clones end up catching up with Shigaraki and Spinner and manage to get them out of the way of a big wave of attacks that come towards them. Uh, and... Shigaraki quickly, you know, comes to a decision like, OK, uh, there's a whole lot of resistance here that we're getting closer and closer to this tower that the that uh, the boss said that Jiren was at. So, I mean, they could have been lying, but because of all the defense they've got here, that's probably our best bet. So uh, now knowing that twice can, you know, do what he's been doing, he sends him to basically clear a path. Uh, sh- meanwhile, while that's going on. Um, the politician guy with the van that's making announcements and stuff uh, gives his followers kind of a bard boost. He, you know, he does a, he does a song of valor uh, in order to get them to to attack. And Spinner realizes that, hey, wait a minute, this guy, they're actually, you know, getting really riled up and they're wearing us down more and more the more that guy talks. And so he comes to a decision about what he has to do. And we don't see or hear what that decision is, but he's come to a decision. He knows what he has to do now. And then lastly, we cut over to where, uh, one of the twice clones, uh, or possibly twice himself, but probably not has managed to actually reach the, uh, uh, top of the tower, uh, and is confronting Redestro. Um, and he makes some, you know, remarks about how, uh, Redestro has the receding hairline and Redestro is just like, you know, your jokes aren't actually nearly as good as that guy whose neck I broke. <laughs> that's it. So that's that's the chapter this week. Um, one of those kind of things where, like, there's a lot going on. We don't see anything really build to a big moment yet. It's just set up for later. So, yeah, I, I would presume that this is not actually twice because I don't believe the current twice has been able to put his mask back on. I thought his arms were actively broken. Right. Yeah, his mask was removed. So, I and he's pres- also he's also moving his arms around very freely uh, yeah, when he gets so up there. I so. presume this is a clone, and I, based off that, I presume that this clone is not long for the world. We've seen that Destro has some kind of crazy destruction ability based on the way he's killed people in the past. So, uh, I presume that we're going to see twice try to do something here. Some big event will happen, but ultimately, I think the twice clone's dead here and. We're going to be waiting until we actually get to see Shigaraki get up there to, to challenge him. But I am very interested to see Spinner do something. And for the love of God, what's Mr. Compressed doing? This poor guy. He's he's like the one member of the, the League of Villains who is, is getting no screen time during this right now. So I, I really hope fucking uh, he gets to do something at some point. Yeah. Up until this point, he and Spinner were getting approximately the same amount. Uh, but now Spinner's turn to get some focus seems to be coming up. So, yeah. All right, let's move on to Food Wars, Chapter 314, The Perfect Rocks. This is some good rocks, Chris. I like these rocks. Rocks. Very nice, solid, heavy rocks. (laughs) Someone's going to cook something now. Nick, come on. We only had a chapter left of this, I think. 
I think this is the second to last chapter. I think it is. Um, so, so we we've got to we got to put aside our 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 snark. We've got to come in here. We got to accept that this is this is the series dropping its last load upon our faces. <laughs> like uh, taking <laughs> taking a big Cleveland steamer, <laughs> just dropping a big old deuce right on top of our chests, and we have to appreciate it while we still can. <laughs> You know, it's going to be gone soon. So this is the chapter where we learn um, <laughs> what this all has been for, Chris. Nick, you know, it's a question I've been asking to myself since the dawn of Food Wars, where I've sat back and I was like, there's so much rich lore to this series. Surely, surely there must be some kind of super genius mastermind that's been manipulating the things because nothing's ever quite made sense you know and just like when aizen revealed that he was truly the master behind the hyogoku and that everybody's powers were a direct decision of his and that <laughs> reveal had grand consequences that lasted throughout the rest of bleach <laughs> exactly just like that since Although, to be months. fair to Food Wars, it probably will have consequences through the rest of it because there's <laughs> only like two judges. <laughs> Just like that, sends Amon's revelation that everything in this series has been carefully manipulated by him to reach this point will also go down in the annals of manga history as one of the greatest twists of all time. Truly, fuck Xanatos from Gargoyles. Senzaemon <laughs> is the greatest of chess masters. So the conversation that Azami and Senzaemon were starting to have at the end of last week leads Senzaemon to reveal that, like Azami, he too has conducted a grand scheme to save his daughter and granddaughter from the storm, from the wastelands of, uh, of Gourmet not being satisfied with it. And his plan, unlike Azami's of everyone will be the same, was to... Basically, um, do what Totsuki was always supposed to do, according to the speech that he gave uh, at the beginning of the series, which was uh, rocks clash together and this compact. Uh, many of them shatter, but the those that remain are compacted into diamonds. Mm -hmm. uh, and so apparently the reason he did this was not just because that's the entire credo of totsuki and why it has existed for what generation are they like the 93rd or fourth so like close to a century but no 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 no. the entire reason that that happens is because so that it would create a generation of diamonds that would thus lead to the establishment of gourmet so that uh, arena would be saved and this mana would be saved and so he specifically got all the people in the higher ups of Totsuki to recruit these various talented chefs. And we see that it was his influence that uh, led to Hayama being granted Japanese citizenship, uh, Kurakiba being brought in. We see people going out and recruiting Megami and Ikumi and fucking Hanjo. Did you remember who Hanjo was, Chris? Because I forgot about her until this yeah, moment. Say creepy, creepy food girl. Honestly, no, 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 not her, not uh, her Chinese food girl that showed up for like that one arc back at uh, Soma's hometown. No, I don't remember that at all. No, wait a minute. Hanjo was the girl that Soma trained with it so that he would beat uh, Kuga. Oh, 
No, yeah. I don't remember her. <laughs> and hey, remember how uh, remember how Ibusaki got that arc finally got that payoff for all the times that people said that he was super talented. Yeah, here he he's here too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and uh, God. This is why I kept on saying it's like, surely there will be another arc after this because they laid out so much stuff that like didn't pay off. And then it's like, oh, no, it's just over now. <laughs> surely it couldn't be as stupid as it feels like it's about to be. I know there's the there's the foul smell food cook girl. And then there's Yoshino and Mimasaka. And it's like, all right, now he's got to go. And then he calls up Juichiro and it's like, OK. Fine, you old coot, but don't come crying to me if someone flips the tables on your grandkid and uses her as a stepping stone. Oh, and that time when when Senzaemon overturned Arina's decision that Soma had failed the entrance exam and got him into the academy. It was all for this purpose. It wasn't because he just figured that Soma had some talents as a chef and deserved a shot. He's like, no, he must enter the academy so that he will save my granddaughter's life. I seem a lot more selfish now and less cool now that I've explained all this to you, Azami. Yeah, and it, like, it does. You must love your daughter and granddaughter very much. And Zenzaman's like, it's not that. I'm simply a foolish old man. <laughs> it's also like, you must love your daughter and granddaughter very much. It's your granddaughter, too, and your wife. Why don't you seem to love them? <laughs> Have you seen the stuff that I did? Clearly, I'd, I'm very insincere about how I was doing this for them. <laughs> there's there's a lot within this that feels like revisionist history. Like that at the last moment, it was like, I need Senzaemon to seem cool. So Senzaemon was behind everything. Because when you're like, oh, they must they they went out and they, they scouted Megami. You're like, Megami was built almost always and portrayed as... A student who was not good enough for Totsuki. And no, no, Chris. Failed. No, no. She was a diamond. <laughs> she, she was a diamond. Uh, and if not for the fact that Soma, not Arina, if Soma hadn't encouraged her talents, uh, she wouldn't have made it all the way here to the grand finals with an impressive record of Shogugeki. So fucking one in 39, whatever it is. Hey, remember that time last year when she when Megami showed how great she had become by beating that one dude who used good ingredients? That was his gimmick. And then the fact that she had been established as a really strong chef was not paid off at all. Remember when Takumi was like, I've had all these matches with Soma where we keep on trading the Mesa Luna back and forth because we're so evenly matched. And then he got kicked, his ass kicked like it was no big deal. And then Soma went on to beat the two strongest people that they've got to deal with in this entire tournament without demonstrating at all why he was suddenly way more talented and stronger than Takumi. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's just this weird thing where like, it, it almost feels like they're explaining something that already had a perfectly reasonable thing. You could have just stopped it at the start where you're like, Senzaemon says, Erina will not go out into the world. She will attend Totsuki exclusively. And everyone's like, what? No, uh, Nikiris have to venture the world or whatever. And he's like, no, she'll do this. And you're like, okay, cool. Because he understands that Totsuki, while overwhelmingly difficult, has laid out that its entire existence has been based around this idea that the strongest chefs battle each other throughout this, you know, entire school year cycle. And because of it, 
the you know the weak ones crumble, but the strong ones are built up and are you know better than they ever possibly could be. He didn't need to go around and be like, and we must scout out the most oddball and like eccentric <laughs> chefs of this generation that we can, because then you had to stop and you're like, so this was a special thing you did for this. So like, was the two years previous to this, whose characters we've seen a large amount of, were they not? Supposed to be a special kind of class like Totsu. Well, no, Rindo is a totally normal chef, Chris. She's not weird at all. <laughs> like, I'm just like, what, like, it's just this weird implication you have to get when I'm like, you already had an explanation for how your school trains the best chefs. I don't know plus why you we would think, add it. Plus, you would think, like, well, Azami was doing his whole takeover thing. If Sensei was like, this is completely contrary to the entire point of Totsuki. If Azami was like, yeah, you, like, have been doing this weird stuff of, like, going around and recruiting special people this entire past year. So don't you talk to me about what you are and are not supposed to do with this academy. <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyway. Soma's cooking his dish. And he's just like, you just sit right there, little lady. And I'll prepare you a dish that'll wake you up right away. Because you're not acting the way that you're supposed to. You're supposed to be an arrogant bitch. And that's not who you... <laughs> the way that you're timidly looking at me, that's not like you at all. Be an asshole. <laughs> this is the dish I make for you. And then, oh, he's made a tempura rice bowl. A version of that one rice bowl that he made all the way back. In like chapter two, Chris, the callback. Oh, but he's he's perfected it this time. This time it's eggs Benedict over rice fit for a queen. And he's made two portions, one for Mana and one for Arena. And Arena takes a bite. And that's the end of the chapter. I'm not going to lie. Eggs Benedict over rice does sound really fucking good. And I am really hungry for eggs Benedict right now. Um. I wish somebody was like, eh, it's kind of hot for Eggs Benedict, don't you think? It's kind of like a breakfast food, really. <laughs> it's kind of rich for this late in the afternoon. Plus, you know, people have been eating all day. Yeah, like, you couldn't have gone with something lighter for my palate. Megami, you know, I heard that she was a chef who actually really paid attention to what people ate. You know what? So Megami she- wins the blue. <laughs> 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 That's how the series ends with them abruptly raising her arm and someone just pounding there like, <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. would give that chapter five stars. <laughs> <laughs> Even they don't give her back her wins or anything like that. They just declare her the winner. And I'm like, shit. It's like fine. okay, good. Sure. <laughs> oh man. This is I look. It's okay. It's just this is a chapter that does that spends a lot of time explaining a concept that I'm like doesn't really feel like we had that like this doesn't add a whole lot more to the lore. It's not like I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna be like, ooh, can I could I watch Senzaemon manipulating the story from behind the scenes the game or it's just like, hey, he brought a bunch of really good chefs together and that's kind of what Totsuki's always been about. I I guess the implication could be that he went out and got chefs that normally wouldn't have even considered that Totsuki was a po- viable option for them and like brought them there. But again, it's sort of the thing where you're like, wouldn't Totsuki have already have done that? I don't know. I think that this chapter could have been more effective if he had 
if it weren't for the fact that like, oh, the reason why all these members of the cast came here is just because of Arena and because Sensei Mon made it that way. And instead, like that wasn't always his primary goal for doing this. If this was just like the normal course of things and he was like, this is the reason why I brought Arena to the academies, because all of these talented, strange people are going to be here and this is the best place for her. You could have accomplished the same thing more effectively by just doing it with a few little differences like that. Sometimes those sometimes that makes a huge difference. Yeah. All right. There's a long chapter of Boruto we've got to go through. Uh, this a lot, ha- a lot happens in this and it's um, an important chapter <laughs> because they kind of just say like, so this is what's going on. Um, this is what the villains are doing. I'll be upfront. I don't like the uh, development in this chapter because it makes the new power way less special in the universe of Naruto, but we'll get into it. Uh, at the end of the last chapter, this is chapter 35. Up, up, up to you. Kurama had appeared to uh, Kawaki and essentially Kawaki just gets a bit of exposition from Kurama that reiterates a bunch of stuff that we already know uh, about Naruto's life. But it also gives us some insight into what Kurama's relationship with Naruto is like now um, in terms that he you know, clearly cares about him uh, and such. And uh, he talks about how, you know, Naruto was left alone, how he was sealed inside of Naruto. Uh, and he also and he said he brings up that uh, shot that was always brought up in Naruto to indicate his loneliness, where he would, you know, just sit by himself on the swings. And Kwaki drives this home by saying, and not because you like the swings, mind you. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, girl. <laughs> I would have loved it if, if Kawaki went after that and was just like, wait, you didn't? Karama's <laughs> just like... But swings are awesome. <laughs> Karama, like, brings it back to that point and it's him, like, saying on a swing, like, you get the sad music. And you see him, like, wee. <laughs> but so it's like the sad music and all of his peers shunning him from afar. But it's like, wee. <laughs> and he nods in the bushes watching him. <laughs> um, so Kawaki gets more of an idea of, you know, like what's important to Naruto essentially from this long conversation and the importance of friendship and companions and not just being a super strong ninja. And uh, Kawaki's like, OK, so do you think I could be like him? And Karama's like, well, it's up to you. But I mean, why not? From the looks of it, you haven't completely dried up yet. And we see that during this conversation, at some point, Kawaki actually started crying a little bit. It's like, so, oh, hey, he's got some emotions deep down. Mm-hmm. And then Karan was just like, hey, you know, you might look for the shard of Voss tomorrow. Go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> well, he doesn't sleep, but, you know, anyway, um, we cut to some more training between uh, Boruto and Naruto and Kawaki. Kawaki's getting a hang of the walking up the tree thing that was an early training thing uh, in Naruto. Uh, Cho- we cut over to Chocho and Serata watching them train and Chocho's like, oh god, I just want to, I just want to like eat some of Kawaki's hair. Just, mm. <laughs> like, excuse me, ma'am? 
You're in company. Um, Serata is uh, jealous of Kawaki um, and uh, because he's getting special treatment from uh, from Naruto. And Chocho is just like, I mean, hey, I mean, the Hokage thinks of all of us the way that he's treating Kawaki. He thinks of you and me. All of us are special family to him. And she's like, yeah, I guess. But I want extra special treatment. <laughs> It's an odd conversation. And I'm not really sure exactly what's going on with Serata. Um, I'm sure that we'll get a little bit more insight later. Um, we also have a bit of a conversation between Shikamaru and Sai. It's like, oh, right. There are other Naruto characters that exist in Boruto. <laughs> nice to see them. Um, Sai reports that uh, they've gotten some intel uh, regarding karma, which is that there is a location that can only be breached via space-time jutsu. Uh, and so Sasuke is in there to investigate because he has a space-time jutsu. And it's oh, not that makes very sense. Easy. Yeah. Sasuke shows up in the base with space-time jutsu. Uh, there's a lot of weird markings on a wall. And when he touches them, Holograms appear of different Otsutsuki clan members, like the two that showed up uh, in the first part of the series, uh, Kaguya. And then he realizes, wait a minute, all these markings are carved in pairs. Wait a minute. Is there someone that, like with Momoshiki and Kinshiki, Kaguya is one a part of a pair? <gasps> So he touches the other uh, marking and this uh, hologram figure with this weird horn sticking out of the side of its head appears. And before he can get a good look at it, he hears this strange noise and he realizes that below the platform that's showing all the holographic projections, there is this strange monster, which he realizes is reminiscent of a bijou. Dun to dun. But Nick, those are all gone. Slash sealed in people, <laughs> but... But this one's not? What? No, it isn't. Anyway. Um, after the training session, Naruto is walking with some of the kids. Uh, he asks uh, Boruto how the uh, karma is doing, if it's still painful or anything. And they have a conversation about um, different powers that it could be related to and stuff. Um Boruto indicates that, oh, you know, I mean, I I guess, you know, I haven't been sleeping very well. I don't know what's going on. Maybe I'm stressed out. And Sarada's like, well, it's better than you being sick. Maybe you've become sensitive. And Mitsuki says, in response to the maybe you've become sensitive part, I don't think so. And Sarada's like, I know. I was being snarky. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's the answer. You fucking joke-killing piece of shit. <laughs> Obviously not. He's an asshole. He's always been an asshole. That is something that I don't think I've read in manga in a while. <laughs> Just that kind of like... I know! <laughs> Fuck off, dude. I hate you, Mitsuki. <laughs> you and your weirdness. <laughs> uh... 
Serata brings up the possibility that maybe the karma is related to the uh, forehead jutsu mark, the mitototic regeneration jutsu. But uh, Naruto is like, I know a little bit about that. I mean, Tsunade used that and he points out the, you know, Mount Rushmore Hokage cliff uh, thing. And it's like, I don't know about that. I mean, it's uh, it could be related to it. But and Kawaki is also like, I mean, it's a diamond shape. So maybe probably not. By the way, this made me think is like, do you think like Tsunade is dead at this point? Because this is, you know, another like 15, 20 years after the end of Naruto. So. She wasn't confirmed dead previously. So it's one of those things where I'm like, I presume she's alive until told otherwise. I think she was around in the final chapter of Naruto that was the flash forward to Boruto, like defacing the cliff and stuff. Yeah. I think she was hanging out with the other old Kages. So. Yeah, I, I would presume until we see her actually dead that I'm like, okay, no, she's right. still alive. She probably just isn't relevant enough to the story right now that they haven't really mm-hmm. felt a need to bring it up. Well, she's retired. So yeah. meanwhile, Rochamara is like, I'm still fine. You still haven't arrested me for what I've done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I've really, I'm even, I'm a little surprised how long I've been escaping this sort of thing. <laughs> I thought eventually someone would be like, Hey, that guy did a lot of bad things. Shouldn't we do something about this? Mm. No need to. He's, he's fine. But uh, Boruto decides that, hey, maybe I should ask, uh, Matt, maybe I should uh, go ask about this. And so he goes with Mitsuki to investigate. Uh, but as he's getting ready to leave, uh, Kawaki says, like, hey, you know, the person who got carved karma into my on my hand and screwed up my life is Jigen. He knows everything about it. And he's the person that stands in the way of us solving this mystery and getting rid of it. So we're going to have to fight him eventually, and we're going to have to take him down using everything we have, including this karma. And Bart is like, okay, and we're going to have to train and get strong in order to do so. And it's not just about karma for me anymore. You're too important to me to leave you be. Right, bro? And he, like, punches him really lightly in the, in the chest because I guess that's how people express broness nowadays. So they just kind of go, ah, solar plexus tap. <laughs> That's his thing, you know, how, like, the Uchiyas did, like, a finger to the forehead, and progressively, over the time of Boruto, the finger punch will just get lower and lower down the body. <laughs> they're just punching and, each other and, in the dick. Yeah, until it's nut-tapping each other out of respect, like... I love you, bro! <laughs> you saved the ninja village! Nut-tap! Oh! I've never felt happier! Truly, I belong! Um... So yeah, they're they're friends now, basically. That's that's the point of that exchange. Cut back to Sasuke. He's looking at the weird monster thing that's below the platform. It has been impaled through its various tails with chakra rods, similar to the ones that Pain used. Uh, and he's like, I can't actually determine the number of tails it has from here. I mean, you can see the tails, so. That'd be great if it was just him like, oh, God, why did I sleep through every math class? One blurple soda. Fingers do I have? I'm going to have to take my shoes off for this. (laughs) But before he can effectively count on his pinkies, uh, another space-time ninjutsu appears behind him, so he has to hide so the person coming in doesn't catch him. Oh, and it's Jigen. Jigen has appeared. And uh, he realizes, oh, it's a guy. It's it's, it's Jigen. 
Uh, and Jigen goes down to the monster that goes at him. And Jigen says, ah, oh, hello, Ten Tails. Have you been behaving? And Sasuke's like, uh, Ten Tails? Yeah, like the original Ten-Tailed Beast. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, Jigen... You know, you know what I love? More parts of Boruto that reference the ending of Naruto. Mm, yeah. I love it. <laughs> so Jigen's like, the vessel must be completed first. Sorry, but I need to take a little more again. He starts sapping out some of its chakra. And then as he does so, the karma mark on his arms starts spreading over more of his body. Uh, and a horn goes out of his head, exactly like the Kaguya double image thing. So he is seemingly the parallel to Kaguya. Oh, no, he's a big deal, Chris. Mm. Um. And Sasuke's like, well, this is bad. I've got to tell Naruto about this. And Jigen floats up after collecting all the chakra and is like, now, perhaps I'll go pay a visit to the two vessels. Dun, dun, dun. Bum, 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 bum. Dramatic verb. That's not the end of the chapter. We also see Borto and Mitsuki like just running through the woods for about two pages and that they don't really say anything important, but you almost have to sit there and you're like, did Mitsuki die like in real life somehow? And like the chapter was like, well, we had a lot of extra material. We didn't think people would like it, but we just needed to include it, you know, so we people got like, the proper stuff. yeah, people got as much like they came to see some more Mitsuki. So we wanted to give them what they, they came here for. I'm played by uh, Luke Perry. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this this twist seems to suggest that the entire point of karma is to turn Kawaki and Boruto or whoever and it, you know, affects into new versions of the Jinjiriki mm-hmm. to contain parts of this new tailed beast. Uh, and I don't really think that I like that. I think that it makes karma seem less special uh by having it be not be its own thing it seems like it's a combination of sasuke's curse mark and naruto's uh tailed beast now and it's just like well then what makes it you know different it really that was one of the nice things about all of the weird science ninja science tech in Baruto, as stupid as it got sometimes, was like, okay, well, this is very different than stuff that we've yeah. seen in Naruto to this point. Nobody was waving a lightsaber around. Um, and now it's just like, okay, so it's they're just tailed beasts. that Things that we spend years and years and years dealing with in Naruto. So, okay, it's not a new story. Yeah, I, I'll be honest, this isn't like a super exciting little chapter in a lot of ways uh it feels more like we're kind of retreading old ground to be familiar instead of being like okay we have a whole new world Uh, kishimoto is like a consultant so but we still have like a freedom to create our own thing here we have a chance to differentiate ourselves from the original naruto we've kind of established our character relationship and i the one thing i've really liked is they haven't like they've actually made kawaki likable to the point mm-hmm. where I'm like, oh, they haven't just done a Naruto Sasuke relationship. Like, they're not as antagonistic towards each other. Like, it's it's similar but different. But this just feels 
not different, you know, with the revelation of like, oh, we got to make a vessel for a Biju, and it's it's all about the Kaguya people at the end, the alien people, and it's like, eh, okay, I mean, you're using the lore, but it's it's like the least interesting part of Naruto's lore for me too. So I don't know. Hmm. All right, Chris. It's time for Eden Zero. Let's talk Eden Zero, Nick. Chapter 47. Words will give you strength. Mm. So we're right here as Hamora is about to go one-on-one with Valkyrie. Although it's not Valkyrie. Ding, ding, ding. It's a clone of her. As Shiki is uh, also confused by He's like, what's a replica? And they're like, it, it means a like, copy, you dumbass. <laughs> he's like, we didn't have dictionaries on Blue Garden or whatever. It's like, fair enough, I guess. Can I be her friend, too? No. I'm going to. You can't say no. Hamura, stop fighting her. She's my friend. You have no agency once I declare you my friend. (laughs) That'd be like a great parody of a shonen battle manga power is if the villain's like, I declare you my friend. Now you cannot harm me. (laughs) Like, no. Oh, we're friends. Friends don't fight. So there's a whole thing where... uh, Valkyrie is essentially explained. She's like, ah, it's good to see you again. Is what I'd like to say. And at first, I, I hated every second of this. Because, Nick, I don't know if you saw, but they introduced a new uh, like DLC thing for Kingdom Hearts. They put like a trailer out for it during E3. Okay. And the DLC is two characters wearing the Organization 13 robe, the big black robe, uh, coming to talking to each other. And one of them is the card guy who I've mentioned before is a fucking joke of a character. Yet They keep using him. And he's like, you, who are you actually? And the guy's like, who do you think I am? And the card guy's like, hmm, keep your secrets then. And then walks away. And I was like, this is everything that's fucking wrong with the series in one concentrated moment. Ooh, it's <laughs> mysterious and ominous. <laughs> These two characters had a conversation that was just sassy back and forth. Nothing was resolved. <laughs> And then they just abruptly left it open with more mysteries for no reason. Fuck this. Uh, but it's it's explained that, like, no, she's she's just a copy of her. So she's going to mimic her a little bit, but it's not actually her. And this angers her more greatly because to her, there is only one Valkyrie. So she's trying to fight with her uh, against her. And she's she's not doing very well because Hamor, uh, Valkyrie knows everything about her. She knows all of her fighting styles. She knows all of her weaknesses as well. And there's some cool action shots that would probably be a little better if Hamora hadn't been forced into some weird bunny leotard, like, kimono thing before all this. riding way up there. <laughs> and you're like, I mean, come on now. Every shot, like, this is, this is exactly why th- this would be, like, an impractical outfit to wear. But anyway, uh, th- there's a whole bunch of, like, action shots going on. And eventually Hamora has been gotten the best of, you know, and Valkyrie kind of has her at sword point right now. Uh, she keeps using this technique where she trips up her leg, where she's like, ah, your pivot foots, you're standing on it wrong. So it creates a sense of balance and weakness. She keeps exploiting it. And uh, eventually uh, she says something where she's like, no, eh, not only is she my teacher to parents, her fencing is identical as well. Has she the strength, strength of my mentor? And uh, Valkyrie's like, ah, you're saying your thoughts again out loud. You never change, do you, Humor? And we get a flashback. To show where her more came from. And she came from uh, what I only can presume is feudal Japan planet that we haven't gotten to yet. Uh, and there's a bunch of bad guys who are going to talk about selling little baby Hamora off to, uh, I don't know, bad people. Uh, but before they can, they are, uh, I don't know, killed or just beaten. Who cares? By Valkyrie. 
And then Valkyrie sits down next to her and is like, man, what a cruel planet. This sucks. Hey, I'll take you back to your parents. Mora shakes her head. She's like, oh, you don't have parents? Oh, well, uh, do you have anything? Can you speak? Holy shit. This is going to be really difficult now. All right, fine. Come along with me. And uh, there's a moment as she's kind of walked away that Homura's like uh, trying to speak. And she's like, oh, I'm Homura. Uh, uh, uh. And Valkyrie smiles to her and says, if you have something to say, then say it. Words will give you strength. And Nick, I always talk about how I think Hero is generally a very poor writer. This is one of those moments it's like, fuck it, man. He actually made me kind of, <laughs> he kind of fucking got me with this payoff it's, to why Hamora says all of her thoughts out loud. It is actually really good. <laughs> it's an astonishingly well done explanation for it. Yeah. I mean, it, the fact that it doesn't seem to actually have any relation to how Humura was uh, prior to this, uh, prior to meeting Valkyrie. But the fact that this is the advice that she got from her to just like, hey, help oh, just you know, say whatever you have to say, because that will make you strong. And she really, really took that to heart. To the point where, yeah, it becomes more of a gag than anything. But now you understand it's like, oh, okay, that isn't just some weird eccentricity of hers. That is actually just a core belief of hers. You just say everything that comes to mind because that is something that she was taught grants her strength. And apparently it's effective. So, yeah. So I think that was a really great moment from this chapter. We exit the flashback. And Hamora's kind of inspired. She's like, no, my mentor is stronger than you. She's more inspiring. She's more caring. You know, just because you're a replica of her doesn't mean that you really are her. And I will find her. There are things I have to say to her. And uh, they clash swords. And then Valkyrie's like, mm, once again, you fucked up your pivot foot. Uh, and then uh, she goes to trip her. But her leg's already gone. And uh, she flips in the air and does the single, uh, the warrior made single sword attack dragon flash. Wah! And it wins. Uh, the match is over, and Moore ends it by saying, had you been my real mentor, I never would have landed that attack. And that's the chapter. Yeah, good chapter. Like, I literally, they were starting, uh, when they were starting to go into this, I literally said to myself, like, there's going to be some sort of comment that Valkyrie makes about, like, you know, her, because she makes a comment early on. Uh, where she says, I know what he looks like. I'm like, I swear to God, if she just like starts listing Homura's measurements, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, no, 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 actually, it's a serious chapter with care with, you know, good character moments and good payoff. So it's one of those things that Ryan. Yeah, I'm with you. It's like when Hero wants to be, he can actually tell a good story. Which it's just often that makes he chooses the, not to. <laughs> it makes the parts where he chooses to like he like doesn't do it so much more frustrating because you're like, this is a man who's capable of doing it too. So mm. yeah. But hey, it's it, I think it's a pretty strong chapter. Again, I still one of those things where you're like, I wish she hadn't been in like a fucking buddy Leotard the entire time. But right. I'll I'll take a good chapter of Eden Zero any day of the week at this point. Yeah, I'll take what I can get. All right, let's move on to the Jumpstart Marathon for Nick. Uh, we're going to begin with uh, Beast Children, Chapter 3. The Beast Children. Seems fair yep. enough. Yep, yep. So, um, 
Last time we learned that uh, Sora and Sakura had wound up at a different school from Yukito. Yukito is not at the academy that he told uh, Sakura to uh, go go and uh, enter. Uh, but they do have a, a rugby club there, at least. So there is something. Um, there's a little bit of a, of a joke where, you know, Sakura is going back and forth. It's like, oh, I get to play rugby, but Yukito's not here. I get to be, play rugby. And he's like, oh, my gladness meter is just above my sadness meter. <laughs> um, but he's thinking to himself for a little bit more. It's like, oh, but rugby, rugby. And then in the middle of the uh, induction cer- in the entrance ceremony, he just stands up and goes, I'm going to play rugby. <laughs> and was like, shut up. I, I do enjoy <laughs> that, like, a call like like a call that awakens the kraken <laughs> from like back in the locker room this dude's like did someone say rugby i have awoken from my eternal slumber he just comes out in his fucking boxers <laughs> and just grabs the microphone from the principal or whatever is like i'm mr beast shin kujira nice to meet you today i'm working out naked in the training room and nobody can deal with it um so he's like yeah uh you students are lucky Uh, this is my present to honor you in getting into this school you get to see a work of art like this for free just pose with his arms spread and a bunch of the new students just throw their books at (laughs) um anyway uh both he and sakura get dragged into the principal's office to be scolded but mostly uh could you uh get scolded um so he <laughs> he's like i've got better things to do hey first year hold this bit of packing string for me he's like what are you gonna do with this i've got a i've got a game i've got to get to so i need to get going we're being reprimanded right now no rugby is calling to me <laughs> so he's like all right when I give the single, you must anchor your leg on something and stand your ground. And <laughs> so he gives him the string and Sakura anchors himself and he cries the string around himself and jumps out of the window. <laughs> and right before he goes, he's like, I'll see you again on the field, rugby lover. So Sakura anchors himself and of course the fucking string snaps from the guy's weight and he just falls face first to the ground. <laughs> and then he springs back up immediately and runs. Yep. Fair enough. Dude's got his uh I wanna say it's an impressive feat for him, but it was like it's such a great idea to have missed the most essential part of it of just like, you know, you're still just gonna fucking fall to the ground, right? <laughs> this string will not carry your weight. <laughs> like, you're yeah. like 200 pounds of muscle. Like, I can anchor you, but it's it's fucking string you pulled out of a <laughs> shitty school budget. Like, it's not like this. Right, this is not string that he had with him. He just grabbed it off of the shelf in his office there, and it was like, this will work. <laughs> um, the teacher that is there to scold him is like, hey, listen, like the rugby club is really, 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 really rowdy people. And you're small. Uh, you're going to get hurt. <laughs> so I was like, ah, fuck all that. And he just heads to the court and the it heads to the field. 
Uh, and he gets to watch. Uh, oh, it's time for a practice game. And Sora is there to watch it, too. Uh, and he figures out, OK, this is our this is that's our team, Yakangawa. And Sora's like, yeah, these guys are a mess, Sakura. And sure enough, as he watches, yeah, they're like completely disorganized. Their players are arguing with each other. We get a very brief montage of all of the different ways that uh, Yakangawa's rugby players are uh, just completely incompetent and not focused. Uh, one of them is not just does a really poor pass. One of them is just idling around, uh, admiring the weather. One of them is flirting with girls on the side of a fence. And Sakura's like, what the hell is going on? Also, that guy over there is just standing there and <laughs> not moving. So he remembers the advice that Yukito gave him and is like, okay, there's got to be something here, though. I mean, I don't think that he would just lie to me if they were just all incompetent. And Sora indicates it is weird because the team that they're playing against, they've been going all out this entire time. You would think that if the other team were such a wreck, then they would just you know, be taking it easy. But it's like they're running away from something. And at that moment, Kujirai appears uh, and he's like, oh, hey, you're that guy from before. And Sakura's like, how did I get here before you? Like, well, I had to take a huge dump. This guy is like Captain Yami, isn't he? It's <laughs> like all about young Captain Yami. for some reason. Also, team full of uh, and full of uh, weirdos. It's like, mm, it's like the Black Bulls. Hmm. Why do I like this? <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, Kudra shows up, and he's like, "All right, I'm in." Uh, and uh, he huddles them all up, and and they. Sora and Sakura immediately realize that the atmosphere has completely changed. Meanwhile, the other team is like, oh, God, we're going to die now, even though we're up 30 points. So Kujirai says, you guys are me. You're my arms, my eyes, my legs, my shoulders, my claws, my fingers, my horns. Let the blood of this here Shin Kujirai flow through the entire body because I'm the heart. Let's go. And... uh they basically instantly kick ass. And as Sakura watches, he realizes they seem very similar to uh, his his mentor, his master. And uh, also, as he watches them, he realizes it's like they're operating as a single beast as opposed to being completely discordant before. Uh, so uh, he makes them as they head off of the field at the end of the game. And he's like, you guys are just like my master Iki. It feel, you feel exactly like that. And everyone's like, yeah, uh, this was his alma mater. And up until uh, just four days before he died, he was coaching us. We are the final students of Onotora Iki, the beast's children. And uh, from there, we cut over to where Yukito is posing by the Sakura tree while sitting on a fence. Like you do when you're a cool, calm, collected rival. When you're just a cool dude like that. And he says to himself, as far as I know, that is where he'll grow the fastest. It'll take everything he's got to keep up. Most people despair over the sheer difference in skill. But if he overcomes that among beasts, it's eat or be eaten. Which will you be? Sakura Shishigaya. So what did you think of this, Chris? Uh, so... If I, because when we, we get to chapter three, we always vote whether or mm -hmm. not we want to continue. Based off this chapter, I would say I don't want to read Beast Children anymore. Mm. I really did not like this chapter. Really? I The moment we met the team, I realized how uninteresting they were. 
maybe it's just because we're getting little snapshots and maybe it's because I don't totally dig the art style, mm. but the team just doesn't appear interesting to me in a way that seems really necessary for this sort of series. Um, maybe because we'll get... it's a team sport manga. Yeah. Well, it's just like, like the closest thing I think of is like high Q. And it was like, maybe if I had met all the characters and they were like, Hey, we are going to use a single panel to describe these characters personalities to you at the forefront. Maybe mm-hmm. it also wouldn't have seemed very good as opposed to like gradually introducing us to the characters within that group over time. Uh but this one, just like the way we're getting introduced to everybody at once, nobody really sticks out as interesting. It's like, oh, you got a lackadaisical guy. You got like uh, a smarmy kind of like know-it-all. You've got a Casanova guy. You've got two guys who are like really aggressive towards each other. Like nothing really. The only one who seems kind of interesting is like the really nerdy looking, I don't know, German looking guy. I don't know what he's mm-hmm. supposed to be, but like that was the only one who was like, Oh, that cat seems like it could be like a fun archetype, but I don't know. This chapter just didn't do it for me at all. Mm-hmm. I think that if we're thinking of it in terms of like uh, being introduced to the team kind of stuff, I guess it reminds me of cross manage in a way where we were introduced to this entire team up front and we had like no idea who like any of them actually were. Um, and then over time, we got to know a few members of of the team and got to appreciate them more. So I'm going to reserve judgment on that regard. I do like their captain um, because he's such a goddamn weirdo. Um, but I do understand your point is, uh, about that montage like that. That also like me. But I was like you in that. It's like I had no impact. It's just like, OK, they're all weirdos who have no discipline without this guy there. Yeah, that was maybe so. that's more of the issue, too, is it's like none of them seem to give a fuck about rugby unless the leader of the team is out there. Mm-hmm. Kind of like and then they all become like a fucking hive mind of rugby greatness or whatever. I was like, I don't know if, <laughs> if my anticipation is supposed to be that the whatever his name is sakurai or whatever not sakurai uh yito or whatever it is the the actual son of the guy uh if he sent sakura over there you'd like to believe that maybe it's a team that needs help or something where like it's a very dangerous situation where instead it's just like it feels like he sent him there just because everyone over there bless you bless you is uh already basically exactly in the same style of playing that he is, you know? Hmm. So, I don't know. They just don't feel like, like underdogs. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm just not interested in a story that's not like a sports story that doesn't start with somebody who you're like, are these guys all like, like Prince of Tennis when you start and you're like, oh wait, they're already like the best team in the area. <laughs> yeah. They just got better. <laughs> Where you're just like, I don't know. This team doesn't look bad. So I don't know. Because they've got this, once they actually get things going, they're actually really good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess as a, I, I was actually thinking to myself, like, I feel as if this sort of dynamic with the Black Bulls and Black Clover uh, existed, then they would have actually probably been a lot more likable from the, from the outset. Because, you know, like, oh, having all these, you know, guys with talent but no aim 
uh, being brought into this one person who can actually properly direct them. It's like, okay, that actually makes sense as opposed to, yeah, we were really terrible up until Asta came around and then we just decided to demonstrate how good we were <laughs> because he inspired everyone with friendship and all those times they spent together, you know, yeah. and flashbacks, you know, but I don't know. Um, this definitely didn't appeal as much to me as the past two chapters did. I will agree. Um, I don't know. I think that I might end up uh, reading the next chapter and then, you know, I was like, OK, we do or we do. We should or we shouldn't talk about this. So because this could very much at this point, it seems like it's at a crossroads of it could be really good or it could just devolve immediately into like it's just a generic sports shonen. Yeah, uh, I mean, so. we never know, too. This could be something where you're like, this is a series that takes like three chapters more of explanation to really like get the entire thing going. Maybe this is a premise where like others where you're like, oh, no, we need to get like two volumes in before the story really starts. Like this is just one long extended prologue. I mean, who knows? So, right. OK, let's try and pick up the pace a little bit because this is starting to take us a while. Uh, Samurai 8, Chapter 5, Departure. Uh, this chapter is a lot about to, a lot to do with um, just explaining samurai techniques, really. There's a lot of exposition and demonstration of power and stuff. It's the most hunter-hunter chapter of Samurai 8 that we've had yet, which is just like, okay, here's how this works. Here's how these work. This is what, you know, the, you know, uh, key holders actually are and what they do. And this is how a samurai actually gathers his strength. And, you know, like Hachimaru tries to take out these two large guards that are at the place that they've headed to. And he's not able to actually breach their armor. Dharma is able to call upon more power because of the strength of his of uh, his key holder. And he draws from his soul in order to break them apart. And he's like, you will have access to this once uh, your holder has a handle bone that will turn him into a key holder. And so they basically get the handle bone ready to put inside of uh, Hayasaka, uh, Hayatar rather. Mm. And he says, and so Dharma says, uh, as long as you have this handle bone, Hayatar will be your key holder and yours alone. And, and Hachimaru is like, now I can start my samurai training. And that's it. It's. Yep. Yeah, there's not a lot to talk about. It's just like, hey, Samurai use guns. That's kind of it. So. Fair enough. I can dig it. Uh, the last Sayuki. It's a very heavy uh, Elise chapter. Um, chapter 14, Wish Upon a Star, Part 1. Um, she rushes off to deal with things while Ryunosuke is like, I don't know if this is a good idea. We're going to die if we do this without help. And she's like, no, I'm got, I've got to help them. And she's thinking about how uh, her mother sacrificed herself in order to cure her of her disease and how she has uh, is trying to live up to the outfit of Ling Ling that she wears. Uh, and uh, meanwhile, Koharu is telling Rinosuke, like, I know you're holding back, but, you know, you told me not to hold back. So don't you hold back either. I know you want to help her. And I know you like I know you that we both like Estelle, so we've got we should help her. And, you know, we have to keep telling her you're not alone, so you don't need to be afraid, just like how you said that to me. So then they go after her just in time for her to get caught by the combined demon thing. 
And as it lifts her up uh, and snapping at her strength, she's thinking to herself, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. But a little bit of her fear is gathering inside of her Mo. We see before it can explode out, Reno escape manages to arrive in time to save her. Uh, They see that her strength has been sapped. And she's thinking to herself, I'm always a hindrance and never able to save anyone. And at that moment, uh, Kaharu and Rinosuke call out to her and, and Kaharu says, I think I'd be able to share some of my strength. And she says, there's no time to hesitate. Help her. And Rinosuke, uh, grabs her hand and leans down to her. And this spark of electricity that goes between Kaharu and, and Rinosuke starts to also surround uh, Estelle. Also, it goes between their mouths. Looks like he's going to give her mouth to mouth uh, or kiss her or something. Um, but we don't really see anything come of that. I'm not sure exactly what the implication is. So this is like another chapter where I didn't really know what like sort of the the tone this series is going for is because the start of the chapter, I was like, oh yeah, and this is like a, our, our battle shonen kind of thing. And this is in the chapter to show us all about Estelle. And I was really digging it. Like she wore the costume back then and people mocked her for it. And you can kind of see why she has such a pride for it and the way she had with her mom. And then like the end of the chapter is like, she's being drained of her strength. She's withering and falling apart before our eyes and she's going to die unless you add her into our hive mind. And I'm like, I don't know. It's just like maybe these. She's not really standing on her own, is she? (laughs) I was like, maybe these two things can coexist together. But for some reason, it's just not clicking for me. Mm. Yeah, it was a bit of a muddled chapter for me. I agree. Tokyo Shinobi Squad. Chapter two. Shinobi's Creed. He only takes the jobs he wants. End of chapter. Okay. (laughs) Nick, how are we going to know if uh, when chapter three comes around, if we're going to keep it or not? He only takes the jobs that he wants to. That's the entire point of the chapter. Also, there is a guy. Also, the Yakuza runs everything. Cool. Bye. All right. So I suppose we should move on then to We Never Learned. Question 114. The clockwork fireflies yearn for the snow flurries of a pizza bet. Uh, So we start off at the Udon restaurant. It's Christmas time. So uh, Ogata's wearing a Christmas outfit. Yeah. Yeah, She's wearing a little Christmas outfit. And then it's like, wow. Before we get into this, there are a lot of things about how uh, Yuiga can't stop seeing her cleavage or her butt and all that stuff. Before we get into any of that, I want to say Ogata does look cute in her Christmas outfit. Okay. It's a cute Christmas outfit. It's got the little like um, cotton ball things that a lot of Santa outfits in Japan have. And they're little, cute. little dangle balls things. Yeah. So, yeah, everyone's like, wow, your outfit's really cute. And Ugata's like, hey, guys, come on. You got to focus on boobs. No. And he turns his eyes away. And uh, they were talking about, like, oh, we have other outfits. You guys want to wear them? Like, no, I'd be far too embarrassed. Because the girls are like, Uega sexually notices Christmas outfits. They both decide to jump into them as well. They're like, he, he, like, he sees her cleavage and is like, oh, shit. And then immediately they're like. Ah, <laughs> okay, all right. So they both put on Christmas outfits. Yuega gets stuffed into like uh, what looks like a one-piece pajama reindeer costume. Uh, mm-hmm. They're like, "This is the only one we had for guys." And I'm like, mm, "You're opening yourself up to some real si- si- shifty situations, there, guys." Uh, but anyways, 
it's a whole thing of like, yeah, you know, he, he was really good at uh, Furuhashi rather was really good at the end of last year before this and bringing in customers. And uh, we get a little bit talking about how uh, Fumino and Ogata, like, they actually know each other for longer than this series, you know, that they've been yeah. known each other for a while because they've both been in the situation of being, like, needing of tutors. And I, yeah. I kind of like that we get a little bit to show that they have a relationship prior to this. Uh, eventually, Ogata's like, oh, I have to head, head upstairs for some stuff. Can you help me? Uh, her outfit is falling apart because the moment when Ogata or Uega just stares directly at her butt and he's like, Jesus Christ, man, come on, this is ridiculous. I gotta oh, walk up the stairs like this or something. Uh, and the one kid who is constantly causing problems around this town in Look, Mom! <laughs> I found string and it just keeps getting longer and longer. And she's like, huh? Where did that come from? So Uega's entire, co- or Ogata's entire costume is falling apart. Uh, Uega points it out to her, though. They go upstairs. She's very embarrassed. And he's like, here, I'll sew up your whole thing for you. Uh, and he sees a picture of her grandma. He's like, oh, well, cool. I'm glad you, uh, you know, your grandma made these by hand. She's like, yeah, she died years ago. They're totally worn out, but I keep fixing them to make up for her. And it's like, yeah, your grandma must have, uh, she must have been really good at making stuff. And she's like, yes, thank you for asking about that. My backstory. <laughs> And just like how we found out about how, why Fumino wants to be an astrologist and look at the stars, we find out why Okata wants to be a game maker. It's because their grandma used to make homemade board games, and those are our treasures in life. And it's a very it's sweet moment. It's super cute. <laughs> it's a very, very Also, I just want to point out, uh, her grandmother died years ago, but somehow she designed the Ogata specialty games with the bangs that Ogata didn't get until midway through this series. Exactly. I hope somebody got fired for that screw up. <laughs> uh, and then we go up and she's like, hey, I need you to, to carry some books. And he's like, oh, or rather he's like, oh, hey, didn't you need me to carry some books? She's like, no, actually, I just asked you to come up here with me because I wanted to be alone with you. He's like, what? She's like, no, nope, hey, here are these books downstairs. <laughs> and like, oh, he's like, the fuck did you just assume me? me? <laughs> <laughs> uh we head downstairs the other two girls are basically putting on like a big uh whole routine to get people inside they're you know advertising Sekijo shows up she's definitely in love with ogata it's absolutely something i should be getting free pizza for but hey whatever i could survive without it uh and there's a whole thing eventually you know Uwega has a spell with ogata alone and he's just like yeah you know it's great everyone cares about you and she's like oh you too and he's like ah oh, well you know i mean not like in a weird way or anything and she's like me too i care about all of you and he's like ah good how star for a moment and ogata says but i don't like myself and then that's where the chapter ends on a big basically full page spread of that and you're like oh god a girl you hit me in the heart <laughs> i i know what you feeling girl it's uh, it's interesting. Uh, presumably, this is going to lead into a little Ogata story arc, which is long overdue. I cannot remember her actually getting one prior to this. Uh, I'm not sure she's ever gotten one in this series before. Not a long extended one to any extent. None of the uh, month long story arc things. I think the last time that there was a multiple chapter long thing focusing on her was during that uh one study trip where she and Yuika uh, accidentally kissed and all that stuff happened. We, we've had other smaller ones in between there. Just never to the, ex- not to the extent that we've gotten one for Asumi 
for uh, Kirisu, Fumino. Yeah, yeah, like all those ones, all the other girls have basically gotten like mm-hmm. a month long story arc to themselves. So it makes sense Okada would get one. Yeah, this is kind of one of the ones that we tend to have uh, that led to those, which is just kind of a precursor for it. And I think it's a nice little cha- it's a nice little chapter on its own because there's some cute moments in it. But this is actually really intriguing because there's there's something about Okada there's something about Okada that we've never really gotten a hint of here before. We always just kind of assumed that she just kind of has difficulty connecting with people, and apparently no, she's got like some real issues that she keeps buried up. Um, that are going to be explored here. So. Nick, we never learn is better than Nisekoi. Well, Chris, you can't do that when you know it's leading into the story arc. <laughs> nope, next chapter is not going to be about Kirisu's bra or anything like that. I say, nope. not knowing what the next chapter could be, and honestly, you have pretty good odds on it being a chapter about Kirisu's bra regardless of this. <laughs> The next chapter is going to be about them going to like a renaissance fair. All the girls end up in suits of armor that somehow end up be turning into thongs over the course of the chapter. <laughs> they, uh, it, it's it's a magic itching powder and they all itch all their clothes off. Is that a thing that has happened before? <laughs> it sounds like something that could happen in one of these series, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. That's why I asked. All right. Let's move on to Dr. Stone, Z equals 108, double ace in the hole. Get a, we get a color cover page for this chapter, and I only make a note of it because Siku looks kind of odd on this page. He's drawn differently, like he looks older or something. Hmm. Anyway, this chapter begins with a flashback to uh, establish what happened when the Perseus was first attacked, uh, and everyone on board got petrified. So we see uh, the you know grenade get thrown, and we most of the action takes place from Ryusui's perspective because he quickly analyzes like, what, what is this? Is this you know is it's attached to a rope? So is it so that she can use a weapon and then retrieve it? Is it just so that she can judge the distance? And also she's throwing her distance, which probably means that it's oh it's some sort of grenade. Uh, and uh, interestingly, we see uh, Ukyo reacts to this. And the reason why he had his bow drawn in uh, uh, when he was petrified is because he was like, well, she's got to throw something at us. I'm going to fucking shoot it. <laughs> and he did. And uh, he, he shoots an arrow at it, but it, then it explodes and goes off. And Ryusui quickly realizes, oh, this is a problem. I've got to think. What do I do? And he's like. I could save. I could save her. <laughs> I I do love that it's a moment of like, what's happening? Must make move. Have to be hero. Punts the child, <laughs> and it is like a heroic move. He's like, you live on, small child, as he punts her into the ocean. <laughs> and then we cut down to uh, Ginro, uh, who is in the water. And he instinctively reacts to this, you know, wave of light coming towards him by swimming underwater and trying to get away. Uh, he's like, oh, I'm done for. Uh, but it stops just short of him. Uh, and he realizes because he was on the surface when uh, Ukyo shot a zero that Ukyo is actually responsible for this. He managed to knock it just off course with the zero that it stopped just short of him. So he was uh, he was spared from the petrification. So we see that Ginro actually climbed back on board. The Perseus saw that everybody was petrified. Most importantly, 
Kinra was petrified and he, get, he actually gets really emotional about this, that, you know, his, mm-hmm. his best friend, his brother has been petrified. And he remembers, you know, all the times that they've been through together, all the ways that Kinro looked after him and he starts to get choked up, but he doesn't really have time to, to focus on this because of course the ship's being boarded. And so he quickly hides inside of the barrel that, uh, Ryusui previously emptied out so that he could hide Suika from Senku. Uh, so we cut to the present where um, now, uh, you know, Kirisame has led everyone on board to see everything. The uh, I forget the guy's name, the kind of second oh, in the, command the, tall the guy or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Jafar. Yeah. Well, that's a giant, giant, giant Jafar because uh, he's a really big guy. Uh, so <laughs> Ginro uh, realized, all right. So earlier Kohaku was shouting. So he. he so when he, the coast is clear, he picks his head out from the barrel. He's like, oh, guys, I'm over here. Guys, guys, guys. And on the shore, everyone's like, someone's on the ship. It could be a Kingdom of Science survivor. Who is it? And Senku takes out the telescope and he sees Ginro. And everyone just like, oh, Ginro. This may be one of the funniest chapters in all of fucking Dr. Stone. Because just the look on their faces, they're like, Oh, holy shit. And they start comparing it to a gotcha game where they're like, it'd have been great if we could have pulled like an SSR unit like Ryusuke or Francois. Instead, we got this fucking disposable trash unit, Ginro. (laughs) And Ginro's drawn as like this naked asshole. (laughs) They're all just saying, they're like, oh. But the best. The By the app- way, we gotta get we gotta get Jeff on here to uh, for gotcha analysis. <laughs> I, I'll I will talk about that in a moment. But I have to just the, the best moment though is him being like voicing to them, "Can you help me?" And just Senku's face of like, "No, you asshole! You have to help us." Tasukete. <laughs> on the topic of gotchas, though. So there's one gacha I have been played for for about a little less than a year now. It's Dragalia Lost. And it's been a pretty fun game. It's actually like one of the few like it's uh, Disney, not Disney, Nintendo helped create it with like one of the big companies out there. And it's been a fun game. Uh, but because I've been playing it, I've been like, I'm kind of interested. And I don't know how it's happened, but I've gone down the rabbit hole of like three other gacha games. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, this is what happens. I can't become Jeff. I can't. <laughs> Uh, I will say that I managed to not become Jeff. I, I gave a shot at playing one of them, and I was like, this isn't for me. So I uninstalled it and stopped playing them forever. There you go. Yeah. It, it, it can be done. You don't have to fall down the rabbit hole. I'm have... sure that there are people who are capable of playing just a single game, but I don't know any of them. So True, true. Um, so keep in mind that Ginro has been, you know, lifting the barrel up and waving really obviously at the shore while it's been going on. Uh, but when people start to come around to his side of the ship, he plops it back down on himself to hide again, like that one Mario party game. Um, and giant Jafar is like, did someone move this barrel? And everyone's like, no. Well, why did it move? It moved? Yes. By a width. Of, by the width of my pinky finger, it has moved. These old eyes of mine don't lie. He starts just staring at the barrel. And we get this one really creepy panel of just like... <laughs> Turning his face. Yeah, it's it's terrifying. Yeah. He's got like inverted uh, sclera and pupils. 
Uh, so he starts leaning towards the barrel. He's going to flip it over. But then there's a crash from inside of the greenhouse area uh, of the ship. And so they go to investigate that. And Ginro thinks someone else in uh, here. So everyone's looking around and they're like, oh, well, there's these things. And, well, it looks like they're goats based on the way that they sound from the hundred tails. Uh, but they're like, no, nah, I don't know. I, I, I don't think it was that. And they're like, well, these look tame, but be on guard. They could be ferocious. <laughs> um, but Giant Jafar seems to have forgotten about the barrel because he's like, oh, check out all this stuff. There's these rare vegetables and we've got these rare animals, including some really rare vegetables. And one of the vegetables is actually Suika hiding inside of her melon rind helmet uh, as to uh, stay safe. And uh, meanwhile, on the shore... Cock is like, someone made a commotion inside of the, of the greenhouse. And Sick is like, yep, one of our best people, in fact. Uh, and so he realizes that this is our chance. You know, we've made sure to blend the boat in with the environment to keep uh, to keep the boat hidden away. Uh, they'll, that'll ensure that the enemy doesn't spot it for now. And our inside woman has been biding her time because she's also a master of blending in with nature. And the final shot of the chapter is a big two-page thread of Suika jumping up in the air, like going, Suika gets to be useful! I just got a team with Ginro to get to the science lab! And we see that her gotcha card is also a super, super rare. And also there's a fucking dragon in the background of it for some reason. <laughs> I, it's, like, for a chapter that's so hilarious to still end on such an awesome moment for me is is very impressive and super enjoyable. Mm-hmm. It is like a cool moment of like Suika to save the day. Yeah, good stuff. Really entertaining chapter. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right, so All right. it's it's sin time. Yeah, so we have two chapters of Seven Deadly Sin, but these are going to go quick because yeah. these are actually really short chapters. So mm-hmm. let's talk first about chapter three thirteen, Faded Brothers, and we start off with all the characters who basically aren't Melodius and Elizabeth. <laughs> Uh, talking about how things are really, really bad, and there's a lot of dangerous stuff happening because that evil super demon's coming. Uh, and there's a moment where we see uh, Escanar pleading to Mail, like saying, please, if you can hear me, I need to, their power once again before it's too late. He's coughing up blood as this is happening. So, oh, I hope everything's okay for Escanar. And there's also a moment where Hawk is trying to wake up the big pig mom who walks through really carries the boar's head around. And the pig mom responds, the balance has been severely disrupted. And before long, the king will be born. So, and Hawk's like, "What the fuck are you talking about, Mom? Fuck off, Mom!" <laughs> uh, so there's a whole thing of them flying over. We see a flashback of Zeldris and, and Melodius. Basically, when Melodius finally said, "Like, hey, I'm leaving the demon world. Why don't you bring Gelda with me, though?" And Zeldris being like, "No, fuck you. You're no longer my brother." <laughs> uh, and then we see the demon lord. And we, we, we see inside as Zeldris is like, hey, bitch, I'm not not letting you take my body. I'm the Vegeta of this series. I'm too cool for this. Uh, but then Gelda shows up and we can very quickly tell that this is an illusion of Gelda brought on by the demon lord to essentially suppress and neutralize Zeldris's. He won't resist me if I distract him with his horniness. Yeah, if I bring her in. That'd be great. She walked in with like a bikini and he's just like, <laughs> this is weird. This isn't really a care. Like, she doesn't normally do this. Uh, but it is very manipulative because he has Gelda there and we know what happened with Gelda. We know that she has been freed by Melodius and that she's going off to find him. 
But this version of Gelda is like, no, I was not actually just sealed away. I was killed by Melodius and the Seven Deadly Sins. I was killed a very long time ago, but my soul survived, and it survived to this point where I could be with you again. So at first, Zeldris is angry, but then he's soothed and kind of comforted by this, and you think that's why he's kind of become complacent and allowed uh, mm-hmm. the Demon Lord to take over fully. The chapter just ends as the two characters, as Zeldris or the Demon Lord, rather, and Melodius meet over top of a lake, which is uh, specifically the lake from the Lady in the Lake. Uh, yeah. I always forget that this series has supposed to have a whole lot of, like, Arthurian references in it. Like, despite the fact that King Arthur and Merlin are characters, it doesn't really feel like that all the time. Well, and Arthur's dead, Chris. He's yeah. definitely dead. Definitely 100% never coming back dead. I mean, he has to come back yet. I don't know. Maybe he actually is dead, dead. <laughs> Uh, but there's a whole thing. Lightning starts crackling as they, they come down. And uh, he's like, yeah, the environment's enraged. Does not need two demon lords like us. It's chaos. And, and he's like, yeah, no, you're wrong. Doesn't even need one, dickhead. <laughs> and he's like, you don't even know. You know. What a stupid question. Do you concern yourself with every grain of uh, salt of sand by the road and every stone? Like, why should I care how many people have died for this? And Melodius responds, but Elizabeth, no, she she turned my world again, as did all my friends I met thereafter. And you're like, really <laughs> odd typo. <laughs> not the best place for a typo there. He basically explains like, yeah, the seven deadly sins have kind of helped change me. And I've seen all the people who, whose lives have been tampered with by this. So we see like a montage kind of every character who have had had like bad situations come up because of all the demon influence in the world. And he's like, you yeah. know, and I've seen all these people who've had their fates turned upside down, how they fought against it. So all the feelings that they've had, I'm going to throw into your face. And he like, he clenches his fist and like even the ground beneath him kind of like shudders, like the water like starts gushing upwards with his, his presence. And uh, he's like, all right, we're going to do this. So goes to like punch him head on. They sort of grab fists, lightning strikes and kind of creates a dome around them. And Demon Lord's like, is this all your feelings amount to? And then Melodius like, no, no, you bitch! And punches him. And that's a, that's the chapter. So he just punches Crack. him. Yeah. This feels more appropriate for the end of the series. Um, I'm kind of hoping we get like a full fight here and not like six people jump in to intervene. That was kind of like what the last arc was all about. So if this is truly the end, let's let's see it through evenly. Yeah, it seems like it's going to be an intense confrontation. Uh, I do like the imagery. It's very Dragon Ball uh, with the, you know, the world is reacting to them gathering their power and stuff. Uh, But it looks like it's going to be a really big confrontation. It's been built up effectively. I have never felt this series be more like Dragon Ball until this chapter when basically you you can't see it, but you could hear like the energy auras around them. Wait, 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 wait. And the moment when I, I see Zeldris and I'm like, you really are just Vegeta right down to the <laughs> giant forehead and the bad hairline. <laughs> Except you're lovesick because everyone in the Seven Deadly Sins is just like it's worth people falling in love. Uh-huh. The Promised Neverland, Chapter 137, Conversion. So uh, Ray is uh, on the ground looking old um, as he has basically given up uh, in this weird wasteland that Aurora has drawn he and him into. He starts to wither away, but then 
Uh, Emma comes bursting out of a, of a cabinet and she's like, I got it. And Ray is super old. So he's like, hey! and Emma slaps him and sla- slaps the old out of him. And he returns to normal, although she still looks like a kid. And uh, she says, I figured it out. The seven walls is space time. And this place is unstable. And the key is in our heads. And Ray's like, Taiwan now. <laughs> and I was like, I'll explain. In this place, time and space are chaotic, unstable. Everything is connected by scenes we know. And Ray's like, yes, yes, yes. I figured that out long ago. Go on. And I was like, this place is linked to our minds, the conscious and the unconscious. Oh, oh, Emma, uh, I, I totally knew that. But uh, uh, explain in case someone else who doesn't have baby memories is listening. There might be like an omniscient reader. Listening to our every thought, <laughs> and they might need to explain to them because I certainly don't. You know, exposition should be delivered. It shouldn't be hidden from the reader just because characters wouldn't say it. That's the answer to this. Simma explains consciousness is intervening. That means our conscious minds can interfere with this place. It's up to our brains. We didn't realize it, but we can do it in this place, in this maze. We can transcend the wall of space-time. And Ray says, Well, that sounds really stupid. Do you have anything to base this theory off of? And Emma's like, Nope. But, she says, I was able to do it earlier. When I thought about turning back time, I became smaller, even though I couldn't stop it. And how did you become an old grandpa, and how did you return to normal? And Ray's like, Hmm, maybe I remember being an old man. <laughs> <laughs> But the points out, but we yeah, I have elder memories too. <laughs> <laughs> do I have all of the memories? Do yeah, I transcend space time? Do I remember the future? <laughs> Emma, put in ten thousand dollars for the lottery number seven, eight, <laughs> nine, ten, six. That's just your luggage combination, Ray. Damn it! <laughs> you stay the hell out of my luggage. <laughs> Wait a minute, I don't have luggage, but I will someday. Oh, Elder man. memories! <laughs> I am for the future. <laughs> so, but Ray points out, well, but I've never seen a desert like this before. But then he's like, wait a minute. When we were thinking about a place that would be 10 re long, maybe it was because I was looking for a vast place, a desert like in the Riddle. And now that I think about it, when I got younger or older, each time my clothes and equipment were different. Were they all projected by my subconscious? And Ray's like, Emma, I figured it out. What we've got. (laughs) (laughs) I've solved the riddle, Emma. You're welcome. So Emma reiterates that uh, this place must have a true form when it doesn't have influence from our conscious and unconscious thoughts and that will emerge when we stop and rewind time it probably means the walls will appear at that moment so come on we can do it believe it imagine it and she takes his hand and says let's stop and rewind time for a bit and so they hold hands and they close their eyes and after right dragon blows them to pieces (laughs) And we see the two of them as children uh, briefly after they take after they take each other's hands, uh, standing together and closing their eyes and things start to 
to warp around them. And basically most of the last half of this chapter is just the two of them standing together as their surroundings warp and change and eventually fade away until they're left in a very large room that seems like it would have 10 re on each side. And it's just completely featureless. There are like panels making up the floors and the ceiling and the walls. And Ray kind of turns into Deku for a moment, just mumbling to himself really fast about what the hell this place is and what has caused all of this to happen. And it gets lost immediately. And then Ray's like, wait a minute, Emma, could well be. But before he finishes that thought and the way that all manga characters can't finish their thoughts, he spots something. And it's this cube with another cube inside of it with a black sphere. But as Ray points out, it's not a sphere, it's a hole. So there is this multi-dimensional kind of semi-prismatic uh, cubicle container containing a hole, presumably in space-time. So, huh. I guess we'll get more explanation on that later. We have uh, now. That's basically all that happens. We we end up cutting back to Norman's base of operations and uh, several of the people that were in Emma's group are uh, out of targeting range. Uh, Some of uh, Norman's generals are overseeing their training. Uh, Meanwhile, he sets off to uh, for the Imperial Capital because, yeah, they're going to, um, you know, put their plan into action. They're not waiting for Emma and Ray to, to get back. So. so that's the chapter of, of Promise Neverland. Yeah. Um, it, it's interesting. We're getting into high concept stuff now for this series. So, you know, uh, buckle up, people, because this is going to be when you decide whether or not you're OK with this series or it just got way too ridiculous for you. So uh, we're about to I, I think we're about to see like a sharp divide in the audience as to people who are like, I dig this and people who are like, ah, it lost me or whatever. But uh, it's interesting. We'll see where this goes. Yeah. I do appreciate the approach that this chapter took. Uh, I love the uh, shots of Emma and Ray just holding hands while the world changes around them. Uh, you don't see a lot of that kind of thing happen in Shonen Jump specifically, where it's just a purely visual uh, storytelling for a very brief moment of what is happening because it's so important. Normally, if you get that whole, you know, changing over time thing, it is a much less uh, subtle thing happening. It's, mm-hmm. you know, like a thing blowing up or, you know, a fight sequence or something like that. And so this was a really cool uh, change of pace. All right. All right, let's talk about Black Clover then. Black Black Clover, Clover. page 208, Swords, which started off so well. Uh, Not initially. These guys are still here. The first page, you're like, whatever. Turns out the two uh, criminal guys, the former Black Orca leader, or Purple Orca leader, and the other guy who I can't remember, they're alive. They're currently trying to survive the mass of, like, flesh-eating leeches because of the Purple Orca guy's magic to make them transparent, but he's like, Oh, if we don't get out of here, we're going to die. Uh, we see Yami has survived and they're sort of fallen to part of like one of the bottom parts of the uh, the Sephiroth. And there's a whole moment where he's like, oh, thanks for helping my arm. I think I can handle about one dimension slash. So he's like, hmm, if I could score a hit, I may be able to end this. But 
Looks like that's the only other thing that'll work, besides our peppy little runt, huh? We go over, and Asta's trying to activate his black magic sword, but the power's too much, it's going out of control. Uh, he does strike against the devil, and shatters off one of the prongs of his big trident, and the devil's like, hmm, that's crazy. Someone, someone who's actually able to damage my weapon from the other world, that's interesting. I don't know which devil that power belongs to, but know your place in the pecking order, and all this stuff starts to All sorts of chaotic stuff starts happening. Uh, Lumiere flies in, saves Asta from being killed by a bunch of, I don't know, wood leech monsters. It's not really clear what they are, but they're, they're chompy bad things. Uh, but then he gets blasted away by Asta's sword unintentionally. And, uh, we see later that he's, he's okay, but that that attack has essentially closed off his magic for right now. So he's presumably out of this fight for the, the immediate future. There's a moment where Patrick's like, ah, what are we going to do? I, I, can we even do anything? And he's like, fuck it. I should be able to cast this in time in order to protect it. And he uses a big light demon magic attack. And it blows away a lot of the monsters. And he's like, hmm, wow, I guess even if you're corrupted, you are still a pretty powerful mage. But, uh, yeah, no, it's not really, not really that important because I can just bring him back. You know, word magic and all. I should probably just say the word right now that'll bring him back. I'll do it later. <laughs> <laughs> this won't come back to bite me in the ass. And as things are looking really bleak because Asta can't control his sword, who should intervene? But of course, the one person who knows how to truly get the best out of Asta. Asta, you'll never be Wizard King with that kind of attitude. <laughs> Nick, hold on a moment. That may have worked a hundred chapters ago, but these characters have been through a lot since then. So what Yuno actually says is, Oh, Asta, hold on. If you don't use your power, you'll never be the way. No, I guess you're right, Nick. <laughs> it's the exact same thing that they always fucking do. <laughs> Not even remotely does the situation change. But when Asta and you know both need to get stronger, they just say, I'll be the wizard king and develop spontaneous power ups as a result. <laughs> and that's the chapter. Their swords look cool. I. <laughs> It's just, I've Wizard never, King. I've I've never seen like a series that like because I was actually kind of getting into this as like the final climax of this big arc, and I was like maybe this arc hasn't been great, but this final battle's delivery. I like a lot of like the back and forth that's going on. Everyone's kind of getting a chance to showcase some stuff, but then it just ending the same way. Every interaction between Asta and Yuno against an antagonist have where it's just like, but don't you want to be Wizard King? I do want to be the Wizard King. And then they both do something really cool. And I'm like, I, I can't. You can't keep doing this to me. One Piece. All right, let's talk about One Piece. Chapter 945, Olin. So we see more of the fallout of what's going on uh, after Yasuye's execution. Zoro is continuing to fight against uh, Kyoshiro, uh, but Kyoshiro is not moving an inch and doesn't seem to be being pressed hard at all yet. Uh, the Orochi Oniwabanshu, uh, the you know secret police who we saw uh, looking after the emperor before, uh, are like, ah, straw pet, the Straw Hat Pirates are here. We, uh, capture capture one of them. Right? And then we'll kind of work on torture them. We'll figure out what the hell they're trying to do. But uh, the Straw Hats basically scatter. 
Uh, Sanji continues to fight against uh, X Drake. Usopp grabs Otoko and runs. Uh, Brooke ends up chasing off uh, some people with uh, with uh, you know his spectral entity thing. Okay. Um. Then we cut over to uh, to uh, Law. Uh, who is confronting Hawkins. Hawkins has two of his men uh, in a cell. And Law's like, where's Beppo, basically? And Hawkins is like, I was going to put all of my hostages in the same place for you to find really easily. Uh, And he's like, you aren't going to be able to defeat me. And he cuts his arm. Hawkins cuts his own arm and says, and uh, Shachi one of uh, Law's men, the same cut appears on his arm. And Hawkins says, I've got four lives in my possession right now. The two of them plus Beppo. You can only strike me down for good after your three subordinates are dead. So real bastard move uh, uh, using human shields this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sanji, as he's fighting with X-Drake, is like, there was a beautiful woman here under attack and she needs my help. Uh, but uh, he sees Zoro save uh, uh, Kumurasaki from attack, uh, and then he grabs her and start and uh, starts running through people. And Sanji's like, "Oh, he knows her! Oh, but he's got a lower bounty than me! Oh, it's not fair!" Oh, Sanji, you're so simple. Good boy. Then, in probably the most important development of this chapter so far, um, oh, Ashura figured out that he was set up by his supposed old friends, um, and Dogstrom has to uh, beg on Kinemon's behalf, and then Kinemon begs on his own behalf, and he's like, look, I'm sorry, it never occurred to me that 20 long years can change a man, and so I arrogantly presumed that you would be, you would help if I invoked the sake of our liege, and when time pressed, I forced the issue, forgive me. But the plan is still alive. Lord Yasuye gave his life to deceive the enemy and divert attention. If anyone is aware that the moon tattoos are not just a fashionable fad, it is the samurai who are apprehended for bearing them. On the night of the fire festival, we will strike Onigashima, the Isle of Ogres. If all of this frees the samurai of the capital, I know that we will have their help. Will you join our fight? And Ashura thinks about this for a second. He takes a big drink of sake and then he says, I've got something to show you. Come I do like this characterization for Ashura. Um, I, I'm suddenly a lot more interested in like all the nine pieces kind of coming together. And he kind of has a unique identity to me now. Mm-hmm. I just wish we had actually gotten a real flashback for Yasui that showed his relationship with all of them. Cause I know we got like a glimpse, but like a real flashback would have given this moment a lot more weight as you know, dog, Dog Storm's kind of invoking, like, hey, or I guess Kinemon's the one who does it, but it evokes, like, Lord Yasui died for this. Like, mm-hmm. this is the one chance we have because he diverted the attention away from our plan. Yeah. Uh, then we cut over to the labor camp where Luffy, of course, is going to have to participate in the sumo battle again. But uh, Big Mom has just arrived and has just burst down the doors. And everyone's like, what the fuck is Big Mom doing here? Even Queen is like, what's Big Mom doing here? <laughs> his eyes burst out of his goggles and stuff. Um, and, uh, of course, Big Mom is just like, I smell Oshiruko. What's he eat? 
And everyone who was in her, their her party is, you know, outside of the gates. And they're like, um, well, I guess there was your Oshiruko inside. Good. <laughs> and they're trying to figure out what to do. Um, and uh, Otama is really excited because this means that, oh, we can go in and we can rescue Luffy now. Uh, but, uh, oh, gosh, what is her name? Whatever. Kinemon's wife uh, oh. says... Fucking uh oh Ota- no o- 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 no it's like Otama but not, but not. O- 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 Otoko. <laughs> That's the little girl who was Yasuye's daughter. Anyway, so God so damn, she tells me the one arc with actual Japanese names. So Otama and Momonosuke, she tells them to uh, wait outside where it's safe. And Otama's like, ah, <laughs> but she points out, look, Momonosuke, you can't be spotted here. You know, it's it's very important. Um, we must and we must practice utmost vigilance because Queen, the lead performer of the Animal Kingdom Pirates this year. Uh, so she you know, ties like a, a, a handkerchief around her face so that she looks like a bandit. And Chopper's like, what the fuck is wrong with you guys? Why do you guys keep doing that? <laughs> um. Queen is like, did you just say Oshiruko? And Big Mom's like, yeah, where's the Oshiruko? I want to eat it. And Queen's like, who told you that? Did you know Oshiruko is my favorite? Is that why you've come to steal it? And he starts to change and grow. Uh, and Luffy points out, Jackie's going to drown. If you can <laughs> get, you let, pull them up, please. Uh, and Queen says, this is really important, right? Because Luffy's like, you guys are arguing about nonsense. And Queen says, you call this nonsense? Uh, and everyone's like, um, fighting with Big Mom order food is going to be really bad, Master Queen. It's like, we have plenty of Oshiruko, but it's all mine. You won't get a drop of it, old hag. And he's turned into a fucking Brachiosaurus with a giant mustache and a braid that goes down his neck. And he his, looks uh, fucking awesome. And his cigar has grown up with him. <laughs> it's grown well. with him. <laughs> and they're like, oh shit. And so they square off. <laughs> and Chopper and is and the other and the woman have infiltrated the facility while this all this is going on. They're like, you know, and Chopper's like really worried, like, you know, Olin's a nice version of Big Mom. Maybe she'll get pushed around by a fierce enemy and then Big Mom just jumps up to the Brachiosaurus and fucking caves his head into the ground with one punch. And that's the chapter. I think it's a solid chapter. I think a lot of it's very good and I I still think Wano's moving in a really good direction. I like all the little characters we saw got to be cooler. Um, I will note that this is another one of those moments where I'm like, fuck, there are a lot of ca- goddamn characters in this arc. When I was like, oh, right, there's another little girl character in this arc to remember, as I forgot the first one. And then through both scenes, I sat and I was like, is that Robin? Is that Robin? No, Robin's not with this group. She's with the other group. Is that Robin? And I firmly believe that was Robin who was tying the bandana around her face until you're like, no, that's uh, fucking Okiku, whatever her name is. I was like, well, then fuck, where's it. Robin? They all look like Robin. <laughs> Goddamn black-haired woman in One Piece all look like Robin. <laughs> I'm like, so wait, who's the girl with the other group then? I don't know. 
wait a minute, who's the short Robin there with Chopper? <laughs> who's the weird-eyed Robin that's always laughing? God damn it. Who with glasses that hangs out with Smoker? Who's dog Robin? <laughs> who's red-haired Robin? Wait, that's not me. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Well, who's who's black haired Robin? Wait, that's Robin. Oh, that actually is her. Okay, who's skeleton Robin? <laughs> that's the guy. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, thank God. But yeah, um, I like this chapter if only for the for just like oh, this is why Big Mom had to get a little bit crazy and briefly turn into a good guy so that they could deal with one of these really, really powerful animal pirates guys without having to actually lose one of their members uh, being preoccupied dealing with them. So I still imagine. And also, that... I, do lo- I do love the idea of them just fighting because they're both greedy for a particular food that does not actually exist currently. Hmm. Uh, oh, yeah, I'll be very curious to see what happens from here uh i don't think queen will be necessarily defeated here but i don't know maybe it will happen i think that it's not going to be he's defeated in the one punch i think that it's going to be more of a distracting incident than that i was gonna say this is essentially one of the three big antagonists of this arc so i'm 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 thinking that we're we're gonna see more still right aside from uh Kaido himself, yeah. Yeah, Kaido and King, basically. Kaido, King, and Queen are like the three big ones here. Right. Okay, uh, that's uh, the manga for this week, so let's name our favorites. Uh, so my chapter of the week is, without a doubt, Dr. Stone. It's such a funny chapter. It's so like amusing and rewarding that I really have to just give it to that. Um, I really am struggling for like an MVP this week of who really <laughs> stood out. I'll go. Um, uh, my my chapter of the week. There were there were a few different uh, ones that I wanted to highlight. I liked I liked some of the stuff in the Promised Neverland. Uh, I liked some of the stuff in We Never Learn. Uh, but I am going to go with with Doctor Stone just because it was the most consistently entertaining all the way through, and it was really funny at a lot of different points. Um, for my MVP, I am going to go with uh, Homura because unexpectedly we got a really nice backstory out of her. And uh, all of a sudden, this stupid character gimmick that I have found largely bearable and you have found really annoying. It seems a lot more like there's a purpose behind it. And it was suddenly really endearing. So, yeah, you make a good point. I think I'm going to agree with Hamora as well. That is I, I, I had to like stop and be like, ah, that's a damn good reason. You cocks. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you name your logic for something I agree with? <laughs> You cocksucker. Before I that's, get a chance to say it and look good. <laughs> you cocksucker. That's a great fucking reason for why she says all of her thoughts out loud. Fuck. Um, yeah, that is going to do it for Weekly Manga Recap. So soon we will have uh, our discussion of Girls Saurus. It's going to be so intellectual. Uh, let me tell you, it's, oh, it's going to be so deep and moving. Uh, but in the meantime, we want to thank you guys for listening to Weekly Manga Recap. You can catch the show live on smashcast.tv slash royalty, twitch.tv slash royalty. And you can also check out our past episodes on our YouTube. You can check them out on uh, Podbean, weeklymangarecap.podbean.com. And uh, they're also on iTunes, uh, where apparently we're still in the uh, hobby section. Is that right, Chris? Yeah. Uh, yeah, for now. Uh, uh, yeah, for now. Well, here's the thing. We need to make one last strike against the hobby. The hobby. Uh, one last. Workers. Yeah. You know, like I don't want to. I don't want to turn tail 
and run and let them think that they got the victory. I'm like, right. I want to leave a wound upon them. And I'm like, this is so you remember. Like that Liam Neeson movie where he slaps Orlando Boob across the face and then dies. <laughs> it's a good movie. Oh, slaps a what? He slaps Orlando Bloom across. Like Orlando Bloom is like his son, like his bastard son or okay. something like that. And Liam Neeson like teaches him a lesson, like tells him like some wise piece of advice, and he slaps him across the face really hard. And he's like, and that's so you remember. Ugh. And then he dies. <laughs> anyway. It's good times. We record the show generally around 7.30 Eastern time here on Wednesdays. But if you would like to stay updated on exactly when we're going to do it, because things do change based on our availability, you can follow us on Twitter at WMR Podcast for the official podcast account and your hosts at RoloT and at Nick F. Time. If you'd like to send us feedback, you can do so via email. We can log a recap at Yahoo.com. But you can also check out our Discord channel. We have a lot of different uh, uh, chat rooms on there for various nerdy activities, as well as just straight up. One, to discuss what you liked about the week in manga. You can vote for your favorite character of the week, favorite series of the week in a spreadsheet that Ninja X3I has prepared for us. And the same thing can also be used to make recommendations for a future series for us to read. Oh, that reminds me. Uh, I forgot to mention the audience uh, MVP. Uh, they like the Seven Deadly Sins as their favorite chapter of the week, and Estelle was mm. the character MVP. Our, reader, our, our viewers really like uh, Estelle, so that's not too surprising. So. <laughs> We would like to extend uh, special thanks to our Patreon supporters. You allow us to create all sorts of fun bonus content for you guys to enjoy. As well as Steve Manor, Talcott Artist, and Infamous Planet, who, I don't know, does something around here? I'm not sure. we got to, like, look up what his, what his job uh, description is. So. Uh, I think it's sitting around occasionally complaining about his family to me on Twitter or on, uh, <laughs> on Skype. That's most of the interaction I have with him. It's going to be great to put on a resume one day. <laughs> Ace complainer. He thinks he's the best, I assure you. Oh, that's it. That's it. That's it for this week of the of the show. So thanks uh, for joining us, guys. Yeah. And in lieu of something funnier to say, because it is really, really warm out right now, I'm going to say we are off to better things. Happy trails, everybody. Until next time. Goodbye, everybody. Fart sound effect. <laughs>